Our need to stand still in a world filled with chaos and uncertainty has never been more important. You are invited to take this moment to wrap your heart and mind in narratives from the Hebrew scriptures, connect to its deep guidance, and move toward practices for encountering the presence of God in your life. Thanks for listening today to the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bruff. The following recording is part of a series called Be Still and Behold, 10 Weeks Exploring God's Presence in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was recorded in Winnipeg, Canada, for Prairie Presbyterian Church, where I am the pastor. This is part four, God on the Mountain. We acknowledge that we are gathered on Treaty One land, first entrusted by Creator God to the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, the homeland of the Red River Metis. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I flee from your presence? You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I am resting or when I am working, and from heaven you discover my thoughts. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. Before I even speak a word, you know what I will say. And with your powerful arm, you protect me from every side. I can't understand all of this. Such wonderful knowledge is far above me. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I flee from your presence?
Each week, we take time to come before God and before each other to confess that we are not perfect people. This is commonplace in many forms of Christian worship, although certainly not all. And today I wanted to share a little bit about why this is important. Confession helps us to have humility. One of the big criticisms that I hear about Christians is that Christians are hypocrites. To which I say, yes, of course we're hypocrites. And here we are all together acknowledging it. Confession helps us to take stock of our week and look at where things we did weren't right or could have been better and examine the choices we made. Confession as a church reminds us that we're all in it together. We've all sinned. And when we pray collectively, we're acknowledging that we are all the same and that none of us are better than the other. Confession is grounding. It brings us back to our shared humanity and reminds us that we are not God. And at the end of the confession, we're reminded that we are forgiven. At times, this is called the assurance of pardon. Other times, the assurance of forgiveness. But the point is the same. Confession is not just to make us feel like terrible people. And in fact, I really hope that you don't feel like a terrible person but it is to remind us of God's infinite love. Let us pray. God of infinite love and forgiveness, we come before you together, knowing that even as we worship in our own places, spaces, and times, we worship as part of the larger church, as your body together, and our confession is no different. Today, we confess that we, like the Israelites, are prone to wander. We go about our days, our weeks, our years, thinking of you only in times of trouble or when you speak to us in big, gigantic ways. We turn to you when we're scared or when we are struggling, but miss out on when you turn up in those small and unexpected ways, often because we're not even looking. We seek to be the masters of our own lives. We make plans, we place our trust in human institutions, and we do not turn to seek your guidance. We confess that in that middle ground, when we're not just struggling to survive or having big thrilling experiences, it's easy to just go about life on our own, thinking of you perhaps only on Sunday mornings. We confess that it's easy to get caught up in excitement, to eagerly start down a path and only later check back and ask, is this where God is guiding? And we confess that it's easy to get caught up in our sorrow and forget about you who can provide us with true comfort. For all the days we have turned away or simply not turned in, forgive us. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is present with us in the good times the bad times, and in all the in-between times. And he forgives our every sin. Know today that you are forgiven and be at peace. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, last week during the passing of the peace, I challenged you to find a way to share the peace of Christ that was creative. And I'd love to hear if any of you did it. We'll put this on our social media as well. But if you did feel free to send me an email. That's the easiest way to tell me what you did and what, what, what it was like. 
My email will be put up on the screen, but it's awakendreamingone at gmail.com. And if you didn't catch us last week, I challenged people to find a new and creative way to share the peace of Christ with those around them. And I would invite you to continue that this week. Whether you're watching this online, reading this in a worship service, or as part of a small group, think about how you can share the peace of Christ with someone in your life in a creative way. And maybe even let me know how it went. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. When the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to the Lord to look, otherwise many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people are not permitted to come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and keep it holy. The Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let either the priests or the people break through to come up to the Lord. Otherwise, he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Back in the spring, it was suggested to me by the elders that here at our church to do a series on the presence of God, which is why we're doing this series called Be Still and Behold on God's Presence. And the sense was this idea that what we really need is more of God's presence. We need to be reminded of God's presence in our lives right now. And I selected this text about God showing up on the mountain in this dramatic and powerful way. And then as I began reflecting on it, I wondered if I'd made a mistake in choosing it. Now, obviously, the story is about God's presence, but how can we possibly relate to this story with its fire, smoke, and trumpet blasts from a quaking mountain? And actually, this is precisely the point. The story even searches for language to describe the undescribable. This actually is the question, not just about this story and its imagery, but about God. How can we possibly relate to God? God is holy, set apart. God is completely other. In this story, anyway, encounter with God is also dangerous and even life-threatening. We read, warn the people uh, not to try and see God by going up the mountain, or many of them will die. So why have this kind of story then at all? Um, Part of reflecting on it is to ask the question of how it is even possible to connect with God at all, 
Because this story's conception of God, how God is portrayed in this story, is actually foundational to who God is. God really is other. And when we think about it, we have to try to understand that God really is God, right? If God really is God, then God cannot be domesticated into some version of what we want God to be. If God really is God, then it is God who sets the agenda. If God really is God, then God, when God shows up, might be overwhelming and overpowering. In fact, maybe God should be overwhelming and overpowering if God really is God. There ought to be risk in meeting God if God really is God. Prior to the part of the story that we read, God tells Moses to get the people ready for this meeting. So if we go back earlier into chapter 19 of Exodus at verse 10, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. God is going to show up, and so the people need to get ready for that. And they prepare themselves But the thing is, they barely know what they are preparing for. They don't know what's going to happen when God shows up, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. God is mysterious and dangerous. And our temptation might be to just want God on our own terms. I'd like a comforting presence. No fear, no trembling, no dramatic life-altering realities we might be tempted to just essentially domesticate God. Or we might be tempted to simply run away. If I can't have the easy, make me feel better and comfortable God, then I'll have no God at all. I'll run into the desert on my own and take my chances there. Or as we see the wandering Israelites do a little bit later in the Exodus story, we'll fashion a God of our own making out of gold. In some ways, We actually could have started the whole series with this story, even though I had my doubts about whether we should even look at it at all. But we need this idea in our heads, this conception of a holy other God who is the one who sets the terms and whose very presence causes the shaking of mountains and the trembling of people. We need this conception because in some ways we need to start with the idea of transcendence, that God is completely other. Uh, Even in the initial way of understanding the opposite of transcendence, which is imminence, the, the closeness of God, which you'd think that's what our series is about, is about the presence of God. But even in the initial understanding of how God is present with God's people, we actually have embedded in that an understanding of transcendence. It's actually the powerful presence of God. What we see over and over in scriptures is when God shows up, we get things like the visible glory of God. We get these things like earthquakes and fire. We can even think of a really familiar story that lots of us will know, the Christmas story with the shepherds and the angels. And when the, when the shepherds see the angels, we read, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. And what's the first thing that the angels say? 
fear not. We get this repeated over and over in scriptures as well, where God will say, or an angel will say, fear not. Why? Because to experience the presence of God, this transcendent presence breaking into our reality, it's terrifying. And so God says, fear not. It's going to be okay. So this understanding of God, God's greatness, God's transcendence, God's holiness and otherness, it's perhaps more central even than the idea of God walking in the garden and calling out to the first humans, where are you? In fact, we actually need this mountain God, this transcendent God in mind when we read the other stories. And so if we have this conception of God in mind when we read the story of the garden, that story becomes even more remarkable because the God who shakes the mountain, who causes trembling and fear just by showing up, is also the God who walks beside us and is seeking us out and asking, where are you? Come and be with me. This is another feature of this story and the overall story of God, is that God is not content to stay far off. So as we think about God's transcendence, God actually doesn't want to stay there. God finds a way to actually show up on the mountain, even to display his unfathomable nature without unraveling it and without allowing for the possibility of the people shaping their understanding of God into their own image or bending God to their own need or desire. Walter Brueggemann writes about this particular passage in his commentary on Exodus. And he talks about uh, the word theophany, which I think I mentioned last time. Um, And theophany just means an appearing of God. And so here's what Brueggemann writes, a, a couple of paragraphs that he writes. The meeting, so this time when they come together, the meeting is cast as a theophany, a cataclysmic confrontation that destabilizes all conventional certitudes in a society explained by the commonalities of the social sciences and received in the assurances of the therapeutic. Theophany is so raw and ragged that we scarcely have access to it. Theophany is by definition disruptive. This raw, pre-rational mode of discourse is crucial for what is uttered in Scripture. Our reading of the Bible is often poverty-stricken, either because we exclude these texts as beyond our realism, or because we trivialize their discourse with our banal exposition. These texts propose that our lives should also be structured by these pre-rational, dangerous comings of God which lie beyond our capacity for explanation and control. Theophanic discourse is required in order to speak adequately about the character of this holy God who intrudes dangerously and disruptively in order to transform. This God lives neither in easy intimacy with us, nor in remote sovereignty over us, but in odd ways comes and goes seizing initiative, and redefining reality. This particular moment in the people of God's story will never be repeated. And it's also really not good enough for us to just compare this with our own mountaintop experiences 
which I think I've done before, where I've thought about retreats or conferences or things like that that I've done in my life and thought, that was a mountaintop experience, kind of like when God shows up on the mountain. But I don't think that's good enough for us. Perhaps, though, we can dare to find ourselves in this story in a few places, so I'll suggest three. The first is actually in the preparation beforehand. Will God show up if they are unprepared? You know, if they didn't listen to what Moses said and just decided, no, we're not going to go and wash and do whatever the ritual purifications were. Does that mean God won't show up? Which I think God still probably does show up. But the problem is, is that the ones who are sanctified are the only ones who get to stand at the foot of the mountain to experience God. Anyone who didn't prepare just wouldn't be there. God would show up, but they would be farther from the experience of God's presence because they didn't do the two days of getting ready. How might we find ourselves in this part of the story? What is the preparation we need to do beforehand to experience the presence of God when God shows up? The second place where we might find ourselves is in verse 16, where it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. They were afraid when they experienced God's presence. They were afraid. And sometimes we're afraid too. We sometimes think that the only things that we're going to be afraid of are things of this world, whether it's sickness or war or diseases or whatever it is that we might face in our struggles. And yet there is fear in meeting God. There's fear in the presence of God. There's fear in God showing up because God really is wholly other and is capable of transforming us maybe in ways that we hadn't anticipated or maybe even wanted for ourselves, but in the end are what God wants for us. And it's scary to be transformed in that way. The third place where we might find ourselves is in verse 17. It says, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of of the mountain. I really like how this kind of sounds like they're taking a stand, right? They're like as though they're going into battle or a protest or something like that, which is not what they're doing, but they take their stand. They stand in the unknown after having gone through the preparation, after having gone through seeing and hearing the lightning and thunder and the quaking of the mountain and living in that fear of what's going to happen. They still are led by Moses to the foot of the mountain and they take their stand. Here, taking their stand is not a posture of protest or of conflict. It's actually a posture of receiving. They take their stand and they take what God offers. And in the end, that is all we can do. All we can do is stand and receive what God is going to offer, not on our terms, but on God's terms. And it's really interesting to note what God does 
right after this meeting, right after this episode, God goes from the wild, unpredictable, dangerous lightning, thunder, fire, cloud, earthquake. And the very next thing is God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. The law is given. The how are we going to live in our actual daily lives is what is given. So we get this story that is so extraordinary, extraordinary, so completely out of the realm of our daily lives and into the instructions for how we are going to live. We take our stand to receive from this potentially terrifying God who could break out against us and God gives an ordering for life with him and with one another. How are we going to relate to God and to one another? So this one who should be totally unrelatable, who is wholly other, who can only be described with lightning and fire and earthquakes, actually is calling to us, where are you? And then offering us a life where we can relate to him. So though there may be trembling, uncertainty, and maybe some incredulity at a God who may behave differently than how you would want or expect you have the opportunity to take your stand at the base of God's mountain and trust. Open your life and receive what God offers you. Amen. We're continuing to encourage you to think about trying creative practices as a way of connecting with God and experiencing God's presence. And today, as we've talked about the transcendence and God in these big ideas, sometimes the best way of connecting with God in, in these bigger ways is actually through creativity. So you think of things like painting or art or writing in particular, some of those kinds of things tap into something that maybe we don't quite know where it comes from, or maybe we do because we believe it's from the Holy Spirit. Um, but as you do your creative practice this week, Try to think about what it means for this transcendent God to somehow be present in these moments of creativity with us. Um, how God shows up in big and powerful ways, and sometimes that's terrifying, sometimes it's comforting. Um, but you have an opportunity now to stand and receive what God has to offer for you through your practice that you're doing this week. For today's pastoral prayer, I want to focus on those in our lives who have not found the same peace and joy in Christ that we have. I know from talking to people and talking to many of you that this is a struggle, whether it's a partner or spouse, your children or your grandchildren, who you desperately long to come and to find God or to come back to the church and to God. Let us pray. God, our Savior, we come before you today, some of us with heavy hearts, as we look at those in our lives and long for them to find the peace that only you can bring. So many times we do not even know where to begin, how we can share our faith, how we can move forward without alienating our loved ones, even as our hearts ache as we long for them to know you. As we pray today, we lift up those in our lives who sit heavy on our hearts. God, as your people, your church, help us to follow your path and put our trust in you. As you guide us in new times and in new ways, help us to be open to where your spirit leads. 
as we reach out to those around us, help us to show our faith in our very beings and every action so that words may not even be necessary. And as a church, may we be welcoming to all, not just those who think like us. Amen. Special thanks to Ashley Boychuk for her reading and singing of the psalm, Aaron Whitaker for her tireless work on the liturgy, Wes Keeley for all his technical wizardry and producing the original videos for the series. You can find the video version of Be Still and Behold on the YouTube channel for Prairie Presbyterian Church. Visit prairiechurch.ca to find out more and to get the accompanying PDF. I'm Matt Bruff, pastor at Prairie Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg and host of this, the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. Thanks for listening today. Take care.